faces, and I see some, probably some different folks, so it's nice. I remember some of your names. Um, some of you stick in the mind more readily than others for various reasons, but uh, it is nice to be here again. I don't remember. I was trying to look real quickly on my phone. It's probably been three years, wouldn't you say? Yeah, at least three years, so it's good to be back here again, and uh, we will be looking at the book of Galatians. Lord willing, we'll do the whole book which means we probably won't get every verse in, but we'll get the major themes and the big picture of the book as a whole. So that'll give you the opportunity, if you haven't done so already, you can read it tonight, you can read a little in the morning, you'll know where we're going, so you don't have to wonder. Um, but we'll pretty much go straight, straight forward sort of through the book. Tomorrow we'll probably hit chapters 2, 3, 4-ish, around in there. But um, I, I like to do that, if you remember in times past, I know uh, here I've done some bigger books, some Old Testament books, and you get a kind of a big, uh, broad view of the book as a whole and hit the highlights to give you a little feel for it. Now, you may have been in the book recently or not, but trust uh, the Lord to use His Word. And I would be remiss if I didn't give greetings from Paul and Robin Lally. Um, And Paul's a big guy. I mean, you know... I was going through this thing with my hand for a while when Paul first came. Every time he'd come, he'd grab my hand to say, Paul, please, you're killing me, you know. <laughs> Guy's got a grip like a vice, you know. So, and I had this bad finger, and oh, it's just killing me. Well, we were actually together last night. I went to a, a, a recovery group for addicts. It's a, kind of an interesting story how that came about. And I was asked to go there and give my testimony. And so Paul and Robin came for support. And... Uh, Anyway, they send their greetings to everybody and their love to you folks here. So let's turn to the book of Galatians and read from chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel that you were so soon removed from him that called you, into the grace of Christ, unto another or a different gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my conversation, my lifestyle in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many mine equals, 
in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. But other of the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but they had heard only that he which persecuted us in time past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed. And they glorified God in me. At a very basic level, the book of Galatians will answer two very important questions. It will answer the question, number one, how can I be right with God? Now, that's put into a very basic way, but it will answer that question, which is a very basic question, isn't it? How can I be right with God? And the second question, equally as important, how can I, as a believer, live right before God? How can I live in such a way that pleases the Lord? Those are two very basic questions, and the book of Galatians will answer those. And so if you didn't remember anything else about the book, you will find the answer to those two questions as it resounds throughout the chapters of this book. Now, I want to say that when it comes to the gospel and a clear understanding of the gospel of the grace of God and the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, I would suggest, it's just my my suggestion to you that there are a few books in the Bible that every believer, particularly younger believers, should learn and know your way around in those books, know the basic themes of those books, and know some of the highlights of those books if you want to understand the gospel, the person and the work of Jesus Christ. One of those is the book of Romans. I would say that's an absolute essential book to get a handle on the major themes and movements and teaching of the book of Romans, if you want to understand the gospel and the Christian life. The second, of course, is very close, and it's the book of Galatians, which is almost a sister letter. There are many things that echo, as you read the book of Galatians, that sound uh, almost identical to certain portions that you find in the book of, of Romans. And then the third book is the book of Hebrews, which very clearly, perhaps as no other New Testament book does, brings before us the, particularly the work of Jesus Christ, but also his person as well, but particularly his work. That song that we sang tonight about a great high priest above, where do you learn that in your New Testament? Well, it's all throughout the book of Hebrews. You can't miss it, can you, as you go through the book of Hebrews, that we have a great high priest. We have a high priest, a great one, Jesus Christ, who's passed into the heavens. But you wouldn't really know that if you didn't read or study the book of Hebrews. And so, uh, with that in mind, um, if you're a younger believer or even an older believer, or an older person who's a believer, and you want to get a better handle on the gospel, those are three books I suggest that you give yourself some uh, time to study. 
The book of Galatians is a little bit different than some of the other letters that Paul wrote because it wasn't written to one specific church. It was written to more of a region, the area of Galatia, as it was known at that time. And, of course, there's debate among scholars, which we're not going to get into, not my point to get into, whether it's the southern or the northern Galatia theory or whatever you want to think about it. But it's safe to say that there was a certain region, and in that region there were a number of churches, and Paul had gone there and preached the gospel, and people had gotten saved, and local churches were formed, time went by, and others came along teaching what he says uh, is a different gospel. And that's the essence of what you find in this book of Galatians, of which he's going to say, as he said in verse 6, that um, I marvel that you have been removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Now, in, in the Greek, which we won't get into a lot of that this these few days together, but know that there are different words for another. Sometimes it's another of the same kind. Sometimes it's another of a different kind. And that's the word that's here. Really, it's a different gospel. Because he's going to go on to say, isn't he, in verse 7, it's not another. There's only one. You see? So what they're teaching is a different gospel. And it's so dangerous that Paul gives two of the sternest verses of warning you'll find anywhere in your Bible to say that if we, or even an angel from heaven, preaches any other gospel unto you, then that which we have preached, let him be anathema. Let him be accursed from God. And he repeats it twice. You know, this, this is the sternest warning that you find anywhere. And it is true, isn't it, that You'll find uh, in the New Testament, things will be said about believers' lives and what they should be and what they shouldn't be and morality and what it, sh what it is and what it isn't and so on. But listen, now we're talking about the consequences and the reality of heaven or hell or of life with God or life without God. It's dangerous. And anytime you dilute the gospel or you tamper with it, or you try to tweak it, it's deadly serious. I don't know if you remember, it's a true story. A few years back, there was a pharmacist, and he was arrested and tried. And what he was arrested and tried for was, he was supposed to be issuing this medicine that helped to cure cancer, and he was watering it down. I don't know if he, I don't remember whether he was doing it for just malicious reasons or whether there was some monetary thing he was doing. I don't remember what the motive was, but the result was the same. These people who were supposed to be getting this potentially life-saving medication were getting something that was diluted to the point that it had no real effect to help cure that dreaded disease that they had. What a serious thing it is. So sometimes it isn't just that you completely change something. You can dilute it. Or you can add something to it that changes the essence and the nature of what it is. Well, that begs a question in a sense, doesn't it? If it's such a serious thing that he says, if anybody preaches any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached, well, it brings two questions to my mind. First question is, then, I want to be certain what is the gospel that he preached? And we'll learn it very clearly here in the book of Galatians. There'll be no question about it. He'll explain it to us a time and time again throughout these chapters that we'll look at in the next few days together. 
But the second thing that I ask myself when I, when I approach this passage in a practical sense is this. I, I, I sort of put it in the frame of a question. What is it that stirs me? What is it that gets me going? Now, there are a lot of things that will stir us up. I mean, I could mention certain political things, you know, which wouldn't be my intention to do in, in, by way of preaching, but I certainly could stir a few things up if I were to claim I was of a particular political party, see, that you may or may not be a part of. And my, my children, I, I know sometimes they used to look at me and say, Dad, why do you sit glued to watching those TV networks when, you know, you, you claim that politics isn't the, where it's at, you know, and all of that? It's a good question. Good question. Yeah, yeah. And when it gets your blood pressure going so much that you want to bash the TV, you know, I mean, you know, things stir us up, don't they? All kinds of things like that. Do we get stirred up? Well, let's say it this way. What was it that stirred Paul? And here what stirred him was when those came along and preached another gospel and perverted the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because on that gospel and the reality of what that gospel is hangs your eternal salvation, you see. And that stirred him up to the point that he issued, like I said twice, the sternest warning that you you have here anywhere in the New Testament about anything. If anyone preaches that, as I said before, I say again, I repeat it, let him be accursed. Anathema. Cut off from God. Pretty severe, isn't it? So that's what stirred Paul. You'll see that in this chapter, he begins by telling us about um, his warning, of course, as we see, but also about his conversion. There's nothing like the reality of a testimony, is there? I mean, if you wanted to know um, about the gospel, suppose for some reason that for whatever reason you were new to the Bible and you just happened to open to the book of Galatians and you read the first word and you stopped and said, Paul, hmm. Well, who was Paul? And you began to do a little research into who was this man, Paul, formerly known as Saul. I suppose that there wouldn't be any greater evidence of the reality of the gospel than if you stopped right there and said, Paul, who formerly was Saul, you see, who gave himself, as he says in chapter 1, we read those verses, you heard of my former religion that I was immersed in, in verse 13, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. I excelled in the religion of my forefathers and the Jews above all my equals. I was more zealous of the traditions than any of them. Well, what happened? What happened was he met the risen Jesus Christ. I'll never forget. I still get chills thinking about it. We had the privilege in 2005, in the year 2005, of going to the land of Israel. And I'll tell you the truth, I wasn't that big on going. I mean, my wife really wanted to go. I'm like, eh, you know, I mean, it's not going to make me any more holy. I mean, I walk where Jesus walked and all that kind of a thing, you know. But, you know, the wife wanted to go. So, and somebody provided for us a trip. So, hey, yeah, I'm in, you know, if you provide. <laughs> I'll take an airline ride almost anywhere, you know, if you provide a trip for me. So, 
Anyway, but we went, and when I went, uh, we had one man that had been 16 times on our trip. We had another man that had been eight times. And when I went, I knew why they came back. I knew. It's so overwhelming. So many things coming at you. It's like one young lady said, it's not that it makes the Bible any more uh, the Bible, but it kind of puts an exclamation point on some things, you know. You get a perspective. And I'll never forget standing in a former, uh, what used to be a Syrian uh, you know, bata- a, 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 a battlement there in the Golan Heights. And I had this, we had this Jewish guy, his uh, Jewish name, his Hebrew name was Phineas, and his um, Spanish name was Pablo, and his English name was Paul. And he was, had a Polish last name that I couldn't even begin to pronounce, but he had been sent during the Holocaust down to South America, and so he, he knew about six or seven languages that he spoke fluently, and I mean, the guy was just phenomenal. He knew the history of the Bible, New Testament and, and Old, better than a lot of Christians do, the historical portions. And he was like a machine. Well, I very early in the trip got next to him, and it was like a machine, I'd punch a button and he'd just start, you know, it was phenomenal. But I'll never forget standing up there in that former Syrian, uh, you know, uh, battlement place, and we're standing up looking in a, in, like in an old gun turret, and I said, what are we looking at there, Paul? And he said, you see that there? That's the Damascus Road. That's where your Saul was. You know, man, you know, I'm like, whoa. <laughs> I'm looking in there. There it is, you know, the road to Damascus. That's where he was. And that light that was brighter than the noonday sun appeared to him. He heard that voice, Saul, Saul. Think of the words he says here. I persecuted the church of God. But you remember the words that came to him? Saul. I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It's me. He touched the church, touched my body. You see, overwhelmed he was. Lord, who, who art thou, Lord? And what will you have me to do? He spent the rest of his life with those two questions as the basis of his whole life and ministry. Learning who Jesus Christ is and doing what Jesus Christ wanted to do. The power of a testimony. You know, I shared my testimony with a lot of people who have various addictions last night. And I told them, I said, you know, everybody's got a story. My story's different than your story. Your story's different than mine. There might be some similarities. There might be a lot of dissimilarities. We all have a story. But there's power in a testimony, isn't there? You know, I, I live in Florida. And uh, often people look at me and they don't attribute my beautiful color to uh, my... Italian heritage, my olive-skinned mother, uh, they often say, oh, you live in Florida. Look, you spend a lot of time in the sun, don't you? And I say, well, it's really from, you know, studying the Word of God and the, the light reflecting off the pages of the Bible, you know, that does that kind of a thing. But anyway, um, you know, Florida, I was, it was funny. I was waiting for, for Joe at the airport when he's come to pick me up. And so I went outside, didn't put a coat on or anything. I had on a thin shirt, and man, the wind was howling. I'm like, man, I am reason. You know, I ran back inside the airport and there was this flight crew there and uh, one guy was saying, oh, I, I love it here. He says, it's so different from down in the south. I said, hey, I'm from Florida. He goes, oh, I can't stand it there. He says, I'm from, I'm from New Hampshire. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's a good bit different, isn't it? Really hot. They say it's the humidity. I tell you, it's the humidity, the heat, it's everything. A couple years ago, my wife was uh, 
recovering from a surgery she had. And so I chose that time. We were living not where we live now, but in our other house. And I chose that time while she was recovering to go outside and paint the exterior of the house. And uh, not to get away from her, but just she's on drugs, you know. And I mean, <laughs> she's okay. I'm, I got my phone. I'm outside. I'm going to do the house. We're getting ready. We're getting ready to sell the house. So it's, it's a dilemma, isn't it? Do I waste, quote, waste the money to paint the house? When somebody else is going to buy it, they're just going to paint it whatever they want anyway. Or do I make it pop a little more because it needs a coat of paint? You know, so anyway, I decided to paint the house. But it's, it's Florida. You know, it's like June. It's smoking hot. And I decided, you know, I rolled it and, and uh, I'm, I'm doing the trim with a brush. I'm telling you, people say, how hot was it? It was so hot, literally, I couldn't put the paintbrush down. If I put the paintbrush down and I walked off for five minutes, the paint is caking up on the brush. So I had to keep painting. I had to keep painting. You know, keep it moving. So I'm up there painting. I'm on the front. I'm on a ladder. And I see this car pull up across the street. Man gets out. Young woman with him. Little briefcase satchel. You know, I'm like, oh, they won't come over here. They see me working on this house. You know, they're not going to come over here. And so they went across the street. And then uh, nobody was home. So they start pulling down the street. They stop. They look. Well, right in the driveway, here they came. You know. So I'm sitting outside and I'm painting away. Older man comes up. He says, oh, yeah, I see you're kind of busy there painting. I said, yeah, I am. He said, well, we'd like to talk to you. I said, well, I'll tell you what. I said, you can talk to me, but I can't stop painting now because if I stop painting, this paint's going to dry up on this brush. So you go ahead and talk, and, uh, and I'm going to keep painting. You know. And he says, okay. Well, he says, uh, you know, there's a lot going on in the world, isn't there? And I'm like, yeah, there sure is. You know. And he says, don't you kind of wonder where it's all headed? And I'm like, well, I know where it's all headed. Oh, you do? Yes. Well, how do you know that? Well, I think I read something about it. Oh, you, you read the Bible, do you? And I said, yeah, I pick around there a little bit now and then, you know. And, uh, and I said, uh, he says, well, well, what made you do that? I, I said, you really want to know? Well, yeah. I said, okay, but I've I got to keep painting, you know, because it's hot out here. And uh, this paint will dry. Okay. So I'm painting away, and I, I start giving my testimony. And I said, you know, I wasn't looking for the Lord. I said, three-time convicted felon, drug addict, criminal, you know, the whole bit. And I end up in this jail, and, and uh, people came to me with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and I believed on the Lord, and, and the Lord saved me and changed my life and delivered me and, you know, delivered me from the addictions and all these other things. And anyway, you know, I give him my testimony, right? And, and this is what he says. He says, that's the most incredible thing I've ever heard. He says, I've been doing this for 50 years, and I have never heard anything like that. I looked at him, and I said, you have got to be kidding me. I, and I'm still painting. And I said, I said, you give me time. I said, I could fill this front yard with people who tell you stories just not exactly like that, but testimonies of lives that have been changed. He says, I... I just never have heard anything like that. He says, oh, I want to read a verse with you. I said, well, I'll tell you what. I'll let you read your verse. I said, but you've got to let me read a verse. And this is the beauty of what happened, I'll tell you. Just that week, I was reading the Bible. You know, you read a passage 100 times, 200 times, whatever. You've heard it all your life, you know. And So I had been reading this passage in the Bible that week. And, uh, you know, something struck me. You know how it happens that... You've read it before, but all of a sudden, boom, it's like, it's like you haven't read it before, you know, something new. And so, you know, 
he says, uh, okay, I'm, I'm going to read you this verse. It's found in, I think it's in 1 Corinthians, and it, it talks about uh, being of the same mind. And I'm like, try, try chapter 1 around verse 10. Yeah, yeah, that's where it's at, you know. So he, he reads that verse, you know, and he says, you see what that verse is saying? He says, we ought to all be of the same mind. I said, that's right. And I said, so if you believe like I believe and believe the things I do, then we would all be of the same mind, you know. And, and then I, he says, I said, now I'm, I'm going to read you a verse, but I can't read it because I've got to keep painting. I want you to turn to it for me. Okay, where is it? I said, it's found in the book of Revelation. I said, I want to ask you two questions. So we turn to the book of Revelation. Familiar passage, chapter 4, chapter 5. And I said, who is the Lamb? He said, well, that's Jesus Christ. I said, now I want you to read the end of chapter 5. Let me just read it for you because it was an interesting verse. I've never used it before. I've had these people come knocking on my door. And I've thrown all kind of verses at them, but I'd never used this before. Because I'd never seen it like that before. Revelation chapter 5. And uh, it says, verse 13, Every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth, such are in the sea, and all that are in them, heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power, be unto him that sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen, and the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. And prior to that in verse 12, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain, and so on. So now you said the Lamb is Jesus Christ. Why would God allow worth and glory and honor to be given to the Lamb in His presence? You see the connection? Unless Jesus Christ is God. He said, I'll have to get back to you on that. <laughs> it's powerful, isn't it? To think about it, though. But back to the reason why I tell you this story, I couldn't leave that last part out because it was very helpful to me. He had no answer for that. Testimony. The greatest evidence of the gospel in the book of Galatians starts out with Paul. But it doesn't end with Paul only. Look what it says in verse 4, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. The death of Christ is the ground of our acceptance with God. His substitutionary death is the basis for us finding forgiveness and being accepted with God. It is according to His will. It wasn't a plan that we came up with. And there's no substitute for God's substitute. The gospel is that Christ died and gave Himself for our sins in order to deliver us, it says, from this present evil world. What does He mean by this present evil world? The world in its attitude towards God. The world in its actions apart from God. The world in its activities apart from God. That's what He means. Under a different authority. You and I who are believers, the world can divide us up into all kinds of ways and demographics and everything else. It's much simpler with God. He looks down, he says, these people are saved and these aren't. These are part of the world and these aren't. And when the world gets destroyed, they're going with it, these aren't. That's pretty basic, isn't it? But that's the way God looks at it. 
That's the way he views humanity, you see. You and I are in the world, but we're not of the world, you see. We've been called out of the world. That's the essence of the meaning of the word church, you know. The ecclesia. We are the called out ones. So as God views the world, he sees the mass of humanity that doesn't love his son, and then he sees those that do. They've been called out. How? By the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. You see? The true gospel, you see, to whom be glory forever and ever. What's another characteristic of the true gospel? That in the true gospel, God is glorified, not man. God is glorified, not human works. God is glorified. The glory is all His and His alone. That no flesh, Paul will say in 1 Corinthians, should glory in His presence. Or it means to boast in His presence. And that comes from that classic passage in the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 9. Let not the rich man boast about his riches, or the mighty man boast about his strength, or the wise man boast about his wisdom. The word there is glory, but it means boast. It's the same thing. What is the world glory in? What do they boast in? You never read the lifestyles of the poor and down and out, or see it on TV, do you? No, it's the lifestyles of the rich and famous, you see. You put everything that the world takes their confidence in and you put it in those three categories. Wisdom, wealth, might, or strength, or a combination of those. But let not the wise men glory in that. Let people glory in this, that they know and understand that I am the Lord. God has designed a salvation that will bring glory to Him and Him alone. You'll never get to heaven if you get there and be able to say, look what I've done. <laughs> no. That's what a system of works is about. And that's what the error of the Galatianism or the Galatians was, and the error that they were being taught. Danger and warning. You see, departing from the gospel is to desert Christ. Notice the language of verse 6. I marvel that you are so soon removed from Him. Him that called you. Oh, the seriousness of what he's saying. Look, if you're removing yourself from that gospel, you're not just removing yourself from some system of theology. You're not just removing yourself from some doctrine on a bookshelf. You are deserting Him, Christ. That's how dangerous it is. That's how tragic it is. Warning. Serious warning. And Paul says, Do I seek to persuade men or God? Or men, if I please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. I, I write in the margin of my Bible, Lord, please let this be a reality in my own heart and my own life. You know, um, I appreciate John saying I could take as much time as I want tonight, which I won't. Well, I will. I always try and stop when I'm done, and uh, I'll, I'll do so tonight. But I won't go real long. I try not to. It's been a long day for me anyway. But, um, you know, when, you, when in the gospel, in your presentation to other people, there is a part of the gospel, let's be, let's be frank about it, that isn't pleasant. Is it? You know, you have to get down to, sooner or later, the subject of sin. Because if you don't do that, I mean, it really doesn't present 
the gospel. Now, we don't need to go around as Christians and try to be as obnoxious as we possibly can. But on the other hand, you, you can't always present the truth and it be uh, so palatable that people so receive it because you really aren't telling them the whole truth, you see. You follow what I'm saying? You, you have to get down to the brass tacks sooner or later. Well, if I need Christ as a Savior, why do I need Him? What is it that I've done that deserves a penalty like you're talking about? And so on. You see, it's the question of sin, isn't it? No, it's not about just persuading men. It's sometime or another in your presentation of the truth of the gospel, you have to get to the subject of sin, don't you? Because that's the problem that people have. The problem isn't just that you're not a nice person. The problem isn't just that you did a few little bad things, you see. The problem is that the Bible says, you know, you're under the wrath of God, that your sin will separate you from God for all eternity. Now, the good news is that Jesus Christ paid the debt, you see, and if you'll accept that payment, the free gift of God's salvation, you can be saved. But sooner or later, you have to get, you have to get down to it, don't you? And Paul wanted them to know that the gospel that he preached was not after man. Why is that so important? You see, his ministry was from God. The revelation of truth he had, the message he had, was from God. It was very important that he communicate in his experience with the gospel uh, what he was before, what he was now. And how it happened. Why does he go into the history of his conversion? And what did that have to do with the problem in Galatia? That people were coming along and saying that unless you kept the law of Moses, unless you got circumcised, that you couldn't be saved, you see. I mean, that sounds a little funny to us, at least part of it today anyway. Circumcision to us is a medical procedure, you know. But it wasn't that then. You'll find in this book of Galatians, it, it, it comes across very prominently. It was a religious ritual. It was a religious rite. It was a rite of entrance, if you will, into the covenant by the male children of the nation of Israel. Commanded by God. They'd been steeped in that for years. You know, you take people who've been steeped in religion for years and certain practices and rituals and rites and ceremonies, and it's, it's tough for them to see, you see. Now you're talking about not only just some, something that was made up by a man, you're talking about now something that was God-given. God gave to Abraham that covenant. It was the mark, the hallmark of the Jewish nation, wasn't it? And now to say that it wasn't necessary for not only the Gentiles, but for the Jews to be circumcised. Well, who was this Paul anyway? You see. Well, in his narrative here, in his biological narrative or biographical narrative, there's at least three things that I think he's getting across, three major points. One that I just mentioned is that it was a defense against the accusation that he preached a watered-down gospel. Paul isn't giving you the full gospel, you see. And, and therefore, 
uh, he's preaching a watered-down gospel. And he goes, no, no, my ministry is from God. It is God who gave it to me by revelation. The gospel that I preach doesn't come from man. It is not by man, but it is by Jesus Christ. My apostleship is by Jesus Christ, not of men. My authority is from heaven. Very important. We'll get to that again in a minute. And I don't seek to just persuade or please men. Secondly, uh, it was a defense against the charge that his gospel was his own invention. And that, therefore, it didn't have any weight. It certainly didn't have the weight of the Sinaitic law or the law of Moses. So it was a defense against that, wasn't he? You know, as a matter of fact, they would say, Paul, you weren't even one of the original 12 apostles of the Lord, you see. You're a Johnny-come-lately, a newcomer. You don't have the same authority as they do. And Paul's defense in part is to say, my authority doesn't come from those men. It doesn't come from the other apostles. My authority comes from heaven. It was God who made me an apostle. It was the risen Jesus Christ who consecrated me and commissioned me to go preach his gospel. That's where my authority comes from. It comes from heaven. Now, we're going to qualify this because you're going to have to be careful. There are people who come around today and say, well, I'm not under any authority except God's. Paul was not a lone wolf. As we'll see, he went back to Jerusalem, didn't he? He conferred with the other apostles. They recognized, you see, something that was there. So it wasn't that he was just out on his own, a man under himself. That could be a very dangerous thing. We're all under authority. If you have elders in this local church, listen, they're under authority. They're under the authority of the Word of God. It's not what they want. It's what God says, you see. And they're here simply to facilitate that and, and to represent the assembly as such. But I think they understand that. that the only authority they have is the Word of God. You see. And so Paul is defending against that. And then the third thing, uh, that his preaching of the gospel as he preached it was not a failure on his part. It wasn't due to ignorance that he didn't include the law. If anybody knew the law, Paul knew the law. I excelled in, my, in the Jews' religion above all my, my uh, contemporaries, you see, and profited above all mine equals. No, his gospel was not due to ignorance of the law on his part. He did understand the law, but he didn't include the law in his preaching of the gospel. Not for that reason. It wasn't his own reasoning. You see, he, here he was in verse 23, preaching the faith which he once destroyed. Amazing, isn't it, the change that had been wrought in Paul's life. And it brings us to the question of what then was Paul's authority. Well, it's interesting that when you look in verses 15 through 18, he begins to say that when I went up to Jerusalem, to those that were apostles before me, and I went into Arabia. I didn't go right up to Jerusalem. I went to Arabia, and then I went to Damascus, and then three years later I went to Jerusalem to see Peter. My authority was independent of Peter, you see. Uh, my authority to preach the gospel didn't come from Peter. No, it was independent of Peter. I didn't see him till after all that time. The other apostles, I didn't see any of them except James, the Lord's brother. But I was preaching, you see the faith 
And they glorified God in me. They recognized this is a work of God in me. My authority didn't come from Peter. In chapter 2, which we didn't read, but I, I jumped down now to look at it and see, that uh, when he did come to Jerusalem, it says in verse 7 that when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision, that is the Gentiles, was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, and listen to verse 8, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. Now he says that Peter and I, we were equal in authority. My authority was equal with his. They recognized that God had called me primarily as an apostle to the Gentiles, the uncircumcision. Well, as in the same way that God had called Peter to the circumcision or the Jewish people. We were equal in authority. Not only that, there came a time in chapter 2 that it says in verse 11, When Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was blamed. He was to be blamed. There came a time when Paul's authority was superior to Peter's authority. When Peter was wrong for what he did because he disassembled from the Gentiles when the big shots from Jerusalem came down. And before he ate with them, oh, what a simple thing it seems to us just eating a meal. Oh, but what a thing it was then to eat with those. What a lesson. Almost no more powerful lesson as Peter stands before that Jerusalem council in Acts 15. It's a powerful thing of what he says. You know, as, as he says, who was I to stand in the way, basically, when we perceive that God had given to the Gentiles, listen, his Holy Spirit. What's the significance of that? What's well, this? God does not put His Holy Spirit in an unclean vessel. You see, the Jews in Peter's day and prior to that, they had certain synonyms they used in their language. You know, it's like play a word association game. So you and I, you know, I'm a Jew, you're a Jew. So I say, sinner. You go, Gentile. I say, unclean. You go, Gentile. I say, dog. You go, Gentile. You see? They were the uncircumcised. They weren't under the covenant. They were the unclean. Sinners by nature, you see. Oh, but that God had given witness that He had put His Holy Spirit in Gentiles meant that they had been cleansed. How did it happen? Peter goes on to say, doesn't he? That what happened to them, he did by faith, he cleansed their hearts. And then Peter says an amazing thing, doesn't he, in Acts 15? We believe that by the grace of God, you would expect him as a Jew to say, they're going to have to get saved like us. He doesn't say that. We believe that by the grace of God, we've got to get saved just like they do. What an amazing thing for a Jew to say in that day. we got to come just like they do. The Gentiles. And so Peter, you see, when he didn't eat with them, when he did eat with them, and then when the big shots came down from Jerusalem and he didn't eat with them, was he now backpedaling, we'd say it down south, crawdadding. you got crawdads up here, don't you? Yes. You know what a crawdad does? He backs up, backpedals, you see. 
And so was the, you remember? Because what was the first lesson God gave him there before he went to the Gentiles? He did it three times, didn't he? Let down the sheet, showed him all those creepy, crawly, good-eating shrimp and lobsters and all that stuff Peter couldn't ever eat before because he kept kosher. Lord, I, I've always kept kosher. You see, I've never eaten anything unclean. Peter, what I've cleansed, don't you call common or unclean. God wasn't just talking about shrimp, was he? Thankfully, he was talking about shrimp. But I mean, you know, that's in the package. But I mean, it was more than shrimp, wasn't it? It was the Gentiles, you see. I've cleansed them. Don't you call them unclean. Now, Peter, all of a sudden you withdraw from eating with them. Are you now calling them unclean? What does that say of the gospel, Peter? And Paul rebuked him to his face. Because at that point, where Paul's authority was independent of Peter, and where Paul's authority on sometimes was equal with Peter, at this point, Paul's authority was superior to Peter. Why is that important? It's important, you see, because what came to Paul came directly from God. The church added nothing to it. Very important. When he met with them, they added nothing to what I said. They extended to me the right hand of fellowship. The church added nothing for, to it. Why is that important? You see, it's important because we can come directly to Paul. We don't get our authority from the church. We get it from Paul. That is, from the Word of God. You see? Paul got it directly from God. We get it directly from Paul. Not from the church. It's not the church that gives us the authority to preach the gospel or that even communicates to us the gospel. No. It's the Lord Himself through His chosen apostles. So this question of authority, he goes into it, doesn't he? Almost a chapter and a half, as we call it. Half of chapter 1 and a good half of chapter 2. This biographical um, information about where his authority came from. And so, in just wrapping it up a little bit, we have a clearly revealed gospel. And may I say it? In the way that Paul says it in chapter 2 and verse 16, because it's so clear and so repetitive. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified by believing by faith in Jesus Christ. And that is our authority, you see. God has revealed it. Paul preached it. Men attack it. You and I just need to unleash it. And it will do the work. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. And just in closing now, I'll ask a simple question, but an important question. You know, in this room tonight, we've got people of various ages. And some of you I know, and some of you I don't know. But I'll tell you this, God knows every one of you. And He knows where you are. 
He knows whether you're one who have been called out by the gospel and are saved or if you're not. And you can fool a lot of people. You can fool your parents if you're a young person here. You can fool a lot of people around you. You can't fool the Lord. Where are you tonight? Do you know tonight the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you know that you're saved tonight by faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone? Our Father, we thank You for the clear revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Lord, some of us got saved out of all kind of knot-headed backgrounds, people like me, and we weren't really religious at all, and we weren't raised in the church and all that kind of a thing. And yet other people, Lord, struggle with different religions of various sundry sorts all their lives. And yet the gospel is powerful enough that people's eyes can be opened to realize salvation is not in the church. Salvation is not what I do for God. Salvation is not what good things I can do or how much better I can become. Christ died for sinners. The just for the unjust. And that's us. And so, Father, tonight we pray if there are any here who aren't saved, young or old, that they might come to the Lord Jesus tonight, own the fact that they're a sinner, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and be saved. And, Father, at this time we would thank You, those of us who are saved, that You brought us into contact with people who brought before us the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to guard it, but most of all, help us to preach it. It'll do the work that it's intended to do. We give you thanks again in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.